Today's sermon comes from Acts chapter 28, verses 16 through 31. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Well, y'all, we are wrapping up the book of Acts after uh, about a year or so, maybe a little bit more than a year. We're wrapping it up today. So if you are Jumping in for the first time and hearing about Acts, uh, I would encourage you to go back, check out our website if you are interested. We'll have a uh, video catalog of all the sermons in this series if this does pique your interest. But as we come to close the book of Acts today, I'm gonna pray really quickly for us. Uh, Father, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, your word is uh, a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. It can't be snuffed out or shut down. And Father, uh, as we hear about your word this morning, uh, Lord, would you, um, by your spirit, send him to uh, convict our hearts, encourage our hearts, and to help us uh, love you more uh, found in your scriptures. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So if y'all know, but you know that anytime I get a chance to flex my ability to do impressions and or accents from other geographical reasons, I will take that opportunity unashamedly. And so you're gonna hear this a little bit today, and I'm excited for your opportunity to partner with me in this. Mortified and absolutely embarrassed, here it comes, was where Florence Rastelli, it's Italian. I'm very good at this. I'm married to an Italian. I'm not appropriating the culture. I'm married into it. It is loud. It does sound like that. Anyway, as you might feel embarrassed for me secondhand, she found herself absolutely embarrassed as she was serving in the cafe. And what had happened was she was cleaning and she knocked over a glass and the glass fell onto the floor. 
Everybody in the restaurant looked at her. They couldn't believe what she had done. It was so loud and so obnoxious that a police officer stuck his head inside of the cafe and said, Florence, can you please keep it down? He said that to her, just like that. Well, what was going on in Cremona, Italy, was they were putting together the Stradivarius sound bank to record all of the sounds that Antonia Stradivari had created through his very famous cellos and violins. Stradivarius instruments are very rare. They are not in production anymore. There's some proprietary thing he did to these instruments that makes them extremely valuable. Here two of the cost of uh, two of these instruments. His 1721 Lady Blunt Stradivarius sold in 2011 for $12 million, all right? His Duport Cello sold recently for $20 million. So it's fair to say that people have put a high price on the sound that these instruments make. These instruments are no longer in production. They are not able to be created any longer, so... Uh, folks to uh, keep this sound alive for future generations. They rented out this, uh, this place where they could uh, have the studio to record the sound of these instruments. To get rid of all exterior sounds, the mayor shut down the entire city for four blocks around this studio. There was a decree sent by the mayor that said everyone needs to be quiet for the duration of these recordings. Have y'all ever been around a five-year-old? What do you do with five-year-old boys? What do you do with them? They have this spiritual gift to take cotton balls and to make sound with them and wake you up in the middle of the night. What do you do with all, what a headache. This is an absolute pain. They went to such lengths to make sure they reduced any sort of outside noise that they uh, unscrewed any of the light bulbs where this recording was to not hear any of the rattling. They cordoned off the streets. No one was allowed to walk. They weren't allowed to wear, uh, the women weren't even allowed to wear high heels as they were walking along the street. This is absolutely painstaking. So they thought that they had the situation just right. All the people were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. The artist pulls out a C major note. The soundboard lights up. The engineers are very excited. Then at the end, a little twinkle happens. The engineer slams his hand down, he plays the recording back, and then he hears the C note being played. Then all of a sudden, right there at the tail end, you can hear the glass breaking from Florence's accident. She was four blocks away. What an absolute pain in the rump to make sure that you can record uh, this very valuable instrument. This is an absolute pain. Every situation had to be just right. People had to act uh, in particular fashion just to make sure you can hear the sound of this instrument the way it was created to be heard. An absolute pain. But isn't it good that God's word doesn't depend on pristine situations and polished people acting just right at the right time to be able to hear his word, which I would argue is infinitely more valuable than any of the sounds that these instruments can make. Isn't it wonderful that God's word doesn't depend on situations and people for us to hear? That's good news. 
The whole message today is that God's word is absolutely unstoppable. And for those of you who hear truth statements being made, you need to ask, why? Why is God's word unstoppable? We'll see from the text two ways in which God's word is unstoppable. First, God's word is not situation dependent. And secondly, God's word is not people dependent. All right, we'll see that God's word is not situation dependent, starting in verse 16. Look with me there. And when we came into Rome, it says, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now, we started in verse 16, and for context, think back to Acts chapter one when Jesus said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, if we're thinking all the way back to the beginning of the book of Acts, the trajectory then of the book is God's word going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth was here in Rome. God's word had made it to the heart of Rome, and this was the place where God's word can go forth to reach the entire globe. But the situation here is incredibly bleak. What should we expect in this situation? The word had accomplished what Jesus said it was going to do, but notice what Paul is in the middle of. Paul was to take the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles, to go into the synagogues and to go about his business as a tent maker. He was to build relationships in these cities and plant churches and share the word of God relationally as God has called him to. But where do we find God's messenger? Where do we find him? He's working literally in house arrest with his hands chained. From our perspective, it doesn't look like this is the most opportune situation for God's word to go forward. If I was writing a script based off of this movie, the script would look a lot different than what God does here. I would be writing inside of this script, Paul, you're chained up, you got some work to do, but let's not waste time where you are. Let's start with some push-ups, all right? Get your push-ups in, start doing some crunches. You're chained up, that's fine. Do some push-ups, do some burpees, get your cardio right, all right? In the middle of this, I want you to start building relationships with these guards, lull them into a place of complacency. Then after training for a little bit, getting nice and strong, toughening your knuckles up, punching the floor, building up some calluses, not having just, just soft lotion hands, get tough. And then once the guard's into a place of complacency, you look at a candlestick and you just, hey, what do you think about this candlestick? And when the guard least expects it, you bludgeon him over the head, the guard's out, you get the keys, you unlock yourself, you chain him up, you take his sword, and you bounce, and you live on the run like them boys from the Dukes of Hazard. And you're just on the lamb like a, like a wild man, planting churches, loving people, and then your legend is just gonna grow. This is gonna be epic. This is the best way to plant churches. This would be a phenomenal movie, right? This would be phenomenal. But that's not what God does in his plan, does it? Notice what Paul's doing in the middle of his confinement in verses 23 and 24. When they had appointed a day for him, 
they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. So you try to shut Paul down, you try to stop the word, and God just keeps bringing people to him. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, he taught them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. That means the whole Old Testament. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieve. There's a powerful truth here that we need to understand. There's a powerful truth here is that you can try to create the most horrendous situations to shut out God's word. You can try your best to stomp out God's word by putting it in the worst situations possible. You can try to stop God's word from reaching his people. But God is always going to work out a way to draw people to himself. God's word is not situation dependent. God's word changes the situations in which it exists. God said this would be the case in Isaiah 55. He said, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You see, unlike all these Stradivarius recordings, God's word doesn't depend on perfect situations for it to move. God's word transforms even the worst of situations because God's word is living and it's active. God's word is sent out with purpose and power. How in the world does it do this? How in the world is God's word so powerful? Hear Jesus from John 16. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. So when the spirit comes, the spirit will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare it to you, all the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What this means is that there is no terrible situation that will stop God's powerful word from moving forward, from saving people, and from changing lives and changing the world. In fact, the opposite is actually the case. Hear this quote. Prosperity has often been fatal to Christianity, but persecution never. But persecution never. And there's story after story about this. Uh, Dr. Tad Stewart tells a story about how he was called to Iran to go plant a church. Iran is one of the most dangerous places in all of the world to plant a church. Well, he plants this church there, he feels called by God, he brings his family, and for about a year and a half, uh, they had about five to 10 people show up in his home. The numbers never really increased much from there. Then the Ayatollah uh, took over political power, and the Ayatollah came in, found the church, burned all the books, burned the Bibles, burned the teaching materials, chained up the doors, put the padlock on it, and made an announcement throughout the whole city. They said, aha, we have removed Christianity from Iran. Now, y'all know about my scripts. If I was making a script, it'd be way different. Here's what God does. Tad and his family feel called to continue this church inside of their home. After a few weeks, what started to happen is people would smuggle in Bibles, he said, like pure gold, before the sun even came up. No one saw them moving in dark. They would meet by candlelight. 
and they, he would read and teach the Bible to them. He said, so much so you could hear a pin drop. After a few weeks, the church doubled and tripled, so much so that multiple homes had to house this one church, and Tad would go from house to house, starting at 2 a.m., working all the way till the sun came up, holding church services. This spread much further than Tad. It spread much further from the situation. They had a church planting movement that started in Iran, and it went to other places inside of the Middle East, and to this day, there is a very persecuted and very sought after faithful witness in Iran today. Now, there's story after story about this in church history, but the question becomes for us, do you believe that God's word is so powerful that it can transform the saddest, the loneliest, the most painful circumstances that life can bring? Do you believe that? If you're here this morning and you're investigating Christianity, if you're watching at home and you think this is absolute silliness and rubbish, I would challenge you to at least have the intellectual honesty to wrestle with this claim. What do we do with Jesus? What do we do with the resurrection? Why is it that 2,000 years later, people are filling this church all over America, all over the world, and we're still surrounding ourselves around this word that hasn't been stomped out over the course of history. I would love to engage in that conversation with you. Our elders would, Pastor Keith would, our community group leaders would like to wrestle with you through that, but we have to ask these questions. So if you're investigating, that's a great one. What do we do with this witness? What do we do when you try to stamp out the gospel? It grows tenfold. What do we do here? If you are in Jesus and you do trust the Lord, and you would uh, agree to the fact that God's word is powerful, it's living, it can change situations, then the really hard question becomes, what percentage of your day are you spending in the word? What percentage of your day are you spending in your word? Y'all need to hear me when I say this. I write sermons for myself. I pray that God would then use these sermons to reach other people. This is massively convicting for me. Uh, when I was young in my faith, I was an adult when I was saved, but being young in my faith, an older gentleman asked me this question. He said, Matt, do you believe that the scriptures are true, they're real, that they're powerful? I said, yeah, absolutely, I believe it. How much time are you spending in the word? <gasps> Hit me. And I started seminary probably about three weeks later. Got married, started seminary. As I was uh, in seminary, I read this sermon by Charles Spurgeon. This question was, just weighing on me heavily. How much importance? What time am I spending with the Lord? And then Spurgeon, who is a, a pastor from London who I won't read in his accent, uh, just stabs with this quote. He says, there is dust enough on some of your Bibles to write damnation with your fingers. Whew. He doesn't mince words. And it hit me. And it hits me still to this day. I shared this quote not to induce shame, but to draw me first and y'all with me to repentance, to turning to Jesus, to turning back to his word. It's because in his word, you find out how loved you actually are. In God's word, you find out how much God loved you to send his son to live in your place, to die for you, to take your sins, to take your shame, to take the brokenness that you live with every single day 
In God's word, we find out how much God loves you to let Jesus die, and he willingly did that in your place, and rose again from the dead, and by faith lives in us. We need that message drilled into our hearts over and over and over because we forget this so much. We forget this. Our lives need to be grounded and and tattooed with this message in our minds and in our hearts because life is hard. There's messages all throughout this world hammering you on every single side. Our culture uh, is back and forth. Every, Every situation in the world is bananas right now, but something has to remain consistent and loving and the foundation for your life that's unmovable and unshakable, and it's the truth about how God loves sinners. And we need church to listen to God's word and to ground ourselves in this. You see, his word turns hopeless situations into hopeful ones. You might say, well, that's easy for you to say. It's not easy for me to say. God's word turns hopeless situations into hopeful situations because he's right there in the middle with you. He's never gonna leave you. He's never gonna forsake you. I don't care what news you've heard this week, as horrible as it is, maybe life-changing and altering news for your life, you need to hear out of God's word that Christ is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You cannot outsend him. You cannot outrun him. Try to build situations to get away from God, and he will draw you back to himself. Look how Acts even concludes. Look how Acts concludes. Paul's on house arrest. He's absolutely chained up. You think the story would end there that the gospel wouldn't go forward? Look at verse 31. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without what? Hindrance. He was chained up. From our perspective, this was a horrible situation to be growing the word of God in Rome. But what looks like a hindrance to us is absolutely fertile ground for God to move in massive ways. God is not in the business of sharing his glory and he creates situations for himself to move mightily to draw more people to himself. I pray that as we conclude Acts that we would be revitalized and called to God's word. If you're in a season of rejoicing or rehabilitating, rebuilding, you might even be fighting to get out of bed right now and brush your teeth because depression and sadness and pain just leaves you with lack of energy. I pray that you would meet Jesus in his word. Just open it. Let the word do a work in you. Meet Jesus there because he's right there in the middle with you, the good, bad, and the ugly. So we asked, how is God's word unstoppable? Well, we've seen that God's word isn't situation dependent, and now we finally see that God's word isn't people dependent. We see this in verses 21 and 22. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken evil about you. But we desire to hear from you and what your views are, for with regard to this sect, so this was early Christians, with this sect, we know that everywhere it's spoken against. What we find here is that even though Paul is locked up in Rome, that there's other Christian converts that's in Rome, 
News about them is spreading. They are messing up the cultural fabric of that day. They are causing a, a sand in the gears, so to speak, of what's taking place. And everywhere, people are already frustrated with them. All right? John Sullivan brilliantly said this. He says, the gospel is not made to dominate the world. It's the grain of sand that upsets the world's machinery. One can't inhale its fragrance and be content to leave everything the way it is. You see, this is fascinating for us to look at because although Paul was the apostle called to Rome as the official spokesperson for Christ, he was fulfilling Jesus's words, but what we're learning here that there's already Christians here. God's word isn't person dependent. You see, God's word didn't begin with Paul and it didn't end with Paul. And this does nothing to take away from his wonderful ministry, but there's a point that we need to understand here. We need to understand that God's church, the salvation of sinners, being transformed into Christ's likeness, the future glory that awaits his church, the renewal of all things, that is all dependent upon the great I am. It is not dependent upon any one of us. Paul even affirms this. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. He says, but we have this treasure, the gospel, the good news about the kingdom of God in jars of clay. We are those jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You see, this is beautiful hope for us. It puts us in our rightful place. It reminds us that our friends and family members, our children, grandchildren, coworkers, the people in our life, their salvation isn't dependent upon us. We are not the fourth member of the Trinity. We are not gurus. What are we though? We are perplexed, beaten, battered, jars of clay, carrying life-saving water and allowing people to drink from that freely. We're supposed to bring the message, bring the water, but we trust Jesus with the results. Take Paul's action. Look back at verse 23. It says, they came to him at lodging in great numbers, and then from morning till evening, he expounded them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about the Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. And here's the point. Some were convinced by what he said and others disbelieved. If you look at verse 30, it says he did this, this morning and evening, constant teaching, preaching, persuading, he did this for two whole years. This might sound like bad news to us. Think about Paul, his reputation. He was schooled from Gamaliel. He knew the Old Testament well. He knew the law and the prophets. He was a master teacher, preacher, discipler. He was a church planter. He was the man. If you wanted to learn about the Messiah in the Old Testament, you go see Paul. And even Paul, with all this brilliance, with all this giftedness, being even an apostle, was only to bring some to salvation. That's not bad news. That's very comforting for us. This 
This is encouraging because it doesn't matter how polished or how babbling our gospel conversations are, if God's word is there and God's spirit is with you, God will save some. That's why Paul quotes that Isaiah passage. You would think that there's some people like the Jews who would just hear this and say, finally, we get it. You would think that there's people who would respond really well to this and the Jews didn't. So I said, we're gonna go to the Gentiles with it. You will be surprised who responds to this good news and you're gonna be responding by who doesn't listen to this. What are we to do then? We share this news about Jesus, his life, death, resurrection. You share your story, share about what's going on in your life. You share it with everyone and every situation that God has you in and you trust him with the results. Trust him with the results. Pastor Hugh Litchfield tells the story. Um, he was serving in a church in Virginia and uh, he was in the hospital doing some hospital rounds and going to visit some of the folks in his church. And as he was sitting in the lobby, he hears, Pastor Litchfield, Pastor Litchfield. And every pastor's worst nightmare, like, what did I do? Somebody's found me out, where do I hide? What are we about to talk about? Uh, he looks over and sees this guy coming up to him. And he says, hey, pastor, do you remember me? And of course, he doesn't. Um, and then this guy starts to tell me, he said, 10 years ago, I came and visited your church. He said, I came and visited, and you preached this sermon about finding your identity in Jesus, about finding who you are in the resurrected Christ. You're not your past. You're not what someone said about you. You're not your parents. You're not your multi-generational legacy. You are a new creation in Christ. He said, that sermon changed the course of my life. He said, at that point, uh, he was... Uh, evading arrest for tax fraud. He owed a ton of money to the government. Uh, he had been subpoenaed to come to court. He was avoiding court. Because he was living under so much stress, he developed an alcohol dependency. He was just drinking his stress away. And then because of the drinking, he started fighting more with his wife, pushed away his kids. And when he came to church that Sunday, even reluctantly, he heard this message about God's grace. He said that night he turned and uh, asked the Lord to save him. And from that moment on, he worked a second job, paid for all of his debts to the IRS. He went into a, a rehabilitation program. And since that evening, he's been sober for 10 years. He went into marriage counseling with his wife and with his kids. And his marriage is stronger. And his relationship with his kids is better than it's ever been. And he said, I just can't thank you enough for sharing that message with me. Litchfield's like, whoa, I don't even remember this. This was 10 years ago. I had no clue what I said yesterday. Uh, I gotta figure this out. So they say thank you, they depart, exchange numbers. Uh, Litchfield goes back to his office and what he would do, which I don't in encourage anybody, particularly pastors to do, is he saved his manuscript and Monday after he preached it, he goes back and jots down what he thinks people, uh, how people responded to the sermon. And he wrote these three phrases about this sermon that changed this man's life. Dead in the water, no one listened, a waste of time. Can you imagine thinking that in our presentations, just because a response isn't elicited, that God can't somehow work through his word? After reflecting back on this, listen to what he said. 
He said, if we offer faithfully to God what we have, somehow it will be used in magnificent ways. We must never underestimate what God will do with what we give. Never underestimate what God will do with what we give. The final question from the book of Acts becomes, who in your life do you need to faithfully and lovingly and your jar of clay bring the message of God's living water to in Jesus? Who in your life? I'm gonna flip that question on its head a little bit. Do you understand that message? You can't bring anybody to the source of life that you haven't already drank from. You need to be overflowing with this message. You need to become in your own person well acquainted with the good news about Jesus's life, death, resurrection. You see, this message is a simple one, but it's profound. It's often been said that the good news of the gospel is like a stream that a lamb can walk across, but also where an elephant can swim in. You never get past this message, church. You don't outgrow it. It only grows you and deepens you. You will experience pain and happiness and joy in the spectrum of human emotion in this life. It's going to turn you back and forth and upside down like you're in a washing machine. But there's one word that remains consistent. There's one word that remains remains powerful. There's one word that remains truthful to remind you who you are when life has absolutely kicked you in the teeth over and over and over again, and it's the living word of God. Do you know this? Do you know the gospel church? You need to understand it. You need to swim in this. And then outside of that, after you spend time in God's word, you're gonna be like, I've gotta tell other people about this. This is life-changing. I've got to share this. So it doesn't matter if you have a PhD in theology or you can barely put a couple of sentences together. Where God's word is, God will be there with his spirit. His word is powerful. It's living. It's active. It is life and world-changing. If you believe this, what's stopping you? I get fear. I get uh, 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 being caught and not knowing how to answer something. I get what it's like to, to feel maybe embarrassed or maybe ostracized to share this. That's normal to feel that. But guess what's not normal? The Christ you serve. He defeated death. He rose from the grave. Satan cannot control him. World history can't control him. Science can't control him. Nothing politically can control this risen savior. And he is on a mission to save his people. And the good news is he allows us to join that mission. And we can do it with boldness. And we can do it with love. And we can do it with truth and mercy. We can do it with word and action. And that's our call today, church. And guess what? You might feel like you're succeeding or you might feel like you're failing. I don't care what ditch you think you're in. Never underestimate what God can do with what we faithfully give him. Return back to that source of life. 
Whenever you feel like Pastor Litchfield, when no one's listening, my family hates me, I'm an outcast, go back to that stream of living water that you hold in jars of clay and drink from it again and again and again. We need to be refreshed to refresh others. Let this word refresh you, church. Let's pray. Father, your word is so counterintuitive to think about the, the words in this book that have been printed millions and millions of times. Uh, there's third and fourth century manuscripts that are still being excavated from Oxyrhynchus, Egypt right now that we don't even have enough uh, interpreters to, in, to, to interpret the text, Lord. There's so many manuscripts, Lord, of, of the Bible that are in existence. And it's so counterintuitive to believe, Father, that this is how you chose to change the world. In a world with all technology and, and all the connectivity, Lord, you still save the world through your word. We are products of your word, and Father, I pray that you would gently but relentlessly pull us back to your word, that we would not get a good night's rest tonight until we have met you in your word. Father, give our souls a hunger by your spirit to be people of the word, because this life is chaos. It's flying by. We will meet you soon, Father. Prepare us to meet you from your word. Help us to trust and love you more from your word. Teach us about who we are and who you are and your great love and rescue for us from your word. And may we have a joy to share that with other people. Father, I do pray that you would align up uh, meetings with everyone in this church. I don't care how young or how old, this week where they would have an opportunity to tell someone about you, Jesus. Give them strength, empower them. And Father, help them to return to you and trust you in the middle of this. We pray all this in Jesus' powerful name, amen.